0: very happy to be with you this morning. Um, I look forward to spending the day with each of you. If you're a visitor, I really hope that you'll stay and get to know us. Hope that you'll eat lunch with us and and spend the day with us as well. As we get started this morning, I want to talk to you about idol worship. Idol worship specifically in the land of Canaan. And it's hard to know exactly when this idol worship started. Sometime around 1500 BC um, is when the worship of Baal started in the land of Canaan. Fast forward about 250 years, that's when the Israelites come in to take over the land of Canaan. So about 300 years prior is when this worship started. And of all the gods that the Canaanites worshipped, Baal... Can you click on that? Baal... Baal, there it is. Baal was dominant over all other gods. He was the king of all their gods. He was the god of fertility and the god of weather. God of fertility for humans, god of fertility for animals, god of fertility for crops. And he was also the god of weather over wind and rain and all those kind of things. And so he was dominant over all things. He was powerful to them. He was a god of strength in their eyes. And so that's why he was represented as a bull. Baal was worshipped in Canaan. The Israelites come out of Egypt. They're let go uh, by Pharaoh in Egypt, and they begin this journey through this area right here. And this journey takes about 40 years. And um, God promises to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. He promises to give them this land. That's why it's called the promised land. And they spend 40 years traveling through this area, and they finally reach the land of Canaan up there, and God gives them the go-ahead to go into this land, and they see this beautiful land, this this land flowing with milk and honey, just like God had promised. The problem, though, is they had come from this area that's shaded in black, this desert land. They'd been complaining about not having any food, been complaining about not having any water, not having anything to drink, not having anything to eat starts to weigh on them. They see dust all the time. They see sandstorms. They see mountains just full of dirt. And then they go into this land. They get the the go-ahead to go into the land of of Canaan, and this is what they see. Can you imagine? You've seen nothing but dirt, nothing but desert, not had any water to drink, and this is what you see, grapes that are just five feet tall, a land so abundant with food. And I think they see this, and, and they want to know why. Like, what have we been doing wrong that we haven't had this? And they go in and they see these, these Canaanites worshiping Baal. And they, say he's, they see that he's the, the God of fertility. He's the God of crop fertility, and, and he's producing that for them. That's what they think in their mind. And so they think, I want to worship that. I want to worship Baal. And that's what causes them to want to worship Baal. You go back, though, to Numbers when God promises... Uh, to give the the children of Israel this land of Canaan, what does God say? He tells Moses, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images and demolish all their high places. God knew they were gonna have a hard time with this. Why? Because that was their history. That's what they had always had a problem with. And going forward, we see that that's a problem that they continued to have, that they always sought after these other gods. They always went after other things beside the one true God. God wanted all of this evidence, all the idols, all the shrines, all the high places. He wanted them gone. But they didn't do this. They left little pieces called the high places. And high places, if you don't know what they are, um, this is a, a picture of of what a, a typical high place might look like. High places were places of worship. High places um, is where people would go up to worship so that they could get closer to their gods. So they could worship their gods just a little bit closer to where they might be in the heavens. And a lot of times these these high places would have altars, they'd have shrines, they'd have idols, they'd have carved images, things like that, so that these people could worship their gods. And the Canaanites throughout their history Um, relied on these high places to worship Baal and to worship their other gods. And as the Israelites move in to the land of Canaan, into the promised land, they start to see these high places being used, and they start to use them as well. And Israel constantly struggles with these high places from when they first enter into the promised land all the way to the kings, all the way up until the time of Solomon. And so I want to start reading about Solomon And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. And so Solomon was the first king that we see that actually implements this worship at the high places of various different gods. And In chapter 3, you can really see that Solomon's still trying to do what's right. Solomon is still walking in the statutes of his father David and loving the Lord. But you fast forward eight chapters to 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for the Chemish, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So now instead of just worshiping at these high places, Solomon's building these high places. His relaxation in one area... Specifically, his love for his foreign wives, who, was, who were specifically commanded against, caused him to want to worship these other, these other gods using these high places. This was the man who built the temple of God, who desired to build the temple of God. And now he's building these temples, these high places, these idols to other gods. So we keep going from Solomon... And Solomon, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two parts. You have Israel on the north, you have Judah on the south. Uh, Jerusalem is uh, the capital in Judah. And so we're going to follow the line from Solomon and the kings in Judah. These things specifically happen in the north as well, but I want to follow just the the southern tribe of Judah and the kings of Judah. And every single king deals with hide places. It may not, not say much about every single king, but it tells you what they did with the high places, how they dealt with the, the worship of high places. And so Solomon has a son, and Solomon's son is named Rehoboam. The Bible says this about Rehoboam, or the, during Rehoboam's time, for they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. And specifically about, about Rehoboam, Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons, the calf idols, which he had made. And so like father, like son. And you see this this worship at these high places continue on. So you see Solomon building these things, building these high places. Now Rehoboam is appointing priests for these high places. So the trend continues, the spiral continues, and we keep going downhill. Asa takes over as king, and we get a little bit of a turn here. Asa did what was right right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David, but the high places were not removed. So he does what's right, he's following the Lord, but he he lets these high places, the worship at these high places, the evil that's happening at these high places, he lets that continue. And Asa has a son. Asa's son's name is Jehoshaphat. What does he do? And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa, so he's a good king Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. So we continue that trend. The high places are sticking around. Joash. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but the high places were not taken away. Amaziah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. And we see this trend continue. Azariah, what do you think happens here? And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord except that the high places were not removed. So we see this continuing trend. Next king, Jotham, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not removed. Isn't it interesting how they, the Bible specifically talks about these high places and how these kings deal with them? They still don't remove them. And then we get to Ahaz, and Ahaz was an evil king, and we see a little bit of a change here. We're going to read this. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, talking about Ahaz. Indeed, he made his sons pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. That phrase, made his sons pass through the fire, he was sacrificing his kids at these high places. The altar's at these high places. And so you see this... This snowball effect where Solomon builds these high places. Priests are appointed for these high places. These high places are allowed to stay around. And now children are being offered on these high places at these altars. It's a terrible snowball effect. And you think, why why didn't they get rid of them? Why didn't they do what God had said? When when Moses wrote, "Speak, speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, when you've crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images. Demolish all their high places. This would have all been prevented if we would have listened, if those kings would have listened and destroyed the high places. Destroy it all. That's what God wanted. And I think to myself, what does that look like? What is destroying? What is driving out? What does demolishing look like? This is what I think of. You get a before and after of a house that's just been demolished. This house wasn't in good shape before, but there's no coming back from that bottom image. You can't rebuild from that. That's what demolition looks like. You think about a house fire. There's no coming back from bad house fires. Demolishing something means it's gone. It's not coming back. There's no rebuilding. That's what God wanted when he said, destroy the high places, demolish the high places. But we see through these nine kings, these nine generations of kings here, these kings failed. They might have done what was right on the side of the Lord. They might have been good kings, but they didn't follow this commandment of destroying the high places, of wiping out these high places. Evil sacrifices at these things, evil worship at these high places, eventually sacrificing their kids on these high places. And then we get to a man named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz, Ahaz's son. Let's see how Hezekiah responds uh, to the death of his father when he takes over. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So there, there that phrase is again. According to all his father David had done, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. Day one, Hezekiah takes over and he's cleaning shop. He's changing things. Things that were wrong, he's opening the temple back up. Day one, he gets all the priests together and we're starting over. We're going to do this how God wants. And I really like this last phrase here, carry out the rubbish from this holy place. That's, a, that's an English term, rubbish. It's garbage. It's uh, filthiness. Get the filthiness out of here. Get the garbage out of here. And I think that there's imagery in that in our lives. What rubbishness, what rubbish do you have in your life that you're letting invade your life? So, that's what Hezekiah commands. He says, get all the impurities out. Get all the filthiness out. I'm interested to see though, what does he do with the high places? This, these, worship, these practices of worship on these hills that kept plaguing the kings over and over again. What does he do with that? Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the, the, to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars and the pieces, cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. You know why I can't find a picture of what a high place looks like in an archaeological excavation? Because they purposefully destroyed them. There's nothing left. That's the point. And so demolition begins. Hezekiah doesn't wait. He doesn't think about how are we going to do this? What's this going to look like? He does it. Day one, he says, destroy it all. Knock it all down. Break it down. He didn't worry about what his father's legacy might look like. See, Ahaz had been evil, and he'd been worshiping at these high places. He'd been sacrificing people at these high, at these high places. He doesn't worry about that. He destroys it all. He doesn't, his mother's still living, Abijah. She's still living. He doesn't worry about, well, what's she going to think about this? He does what was right, and he destroys these things down. He just utterly destroyed these evil places. So you can probably imagine where we're going with this. What are your high places? What are you allowing to stick around in your life? Evil practices, evil sin, evil weaknesses in your life that may not be bad in and of of themselves, but can lead to evil. What are you allowing to remain in your life? Is it friends? Is it entertainment? What is it? We've all got high places. We've all got things that we allow to stay in our lives that, that affect us long term, long down the road. And the church at Colossae was uh, no exception to this, and they had a problem with not destroying evil. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so from this, we see that Paul is writing to Christians here. They had already been raised with Christ. They were Christians. They'd been baptized. They were called to to live a new life, to set their minds on things above. The problem was they were setting their minds on things on the earth. They had high places. They had things that they let stick around from their past life, even after they had repented, that they were still going after. Set your mind on things above. That's what Paul says. How do you do that? We go to uh, verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. These were their high places. Fornication, uncleanness, these evil desires, these sexual sins, These impurities, these lusts, those are their high places. These hateful things, these the anger, the wrath, filthy language, just hateful things, those were their high places. And what does he say to do to this? What does he say to to these people to do with their high places? To get what to do with them? He says, put to death. And you think about something that's been put to death, it's gone. It's not coming back. There's no coming back from death. It's completely out of your life. These people were Christians, like I said. If you read this list, you'd be thinking that he's talking to people who had not obeyed the gospel. People who were still not saved, just based on these evil things in here. But they were still allowing those things in their life. He also uses the phrase, put off all these things. And when you put something off, um, if you look at that phrase, the same phrase is used in Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 7 when they stone Stephen, when they cast him out of the city to stone him. And I think in a sense, that's what we need to be doing to our sin, doing to our high places. We're casting them out. We're stoning them. They're gone. They're dead. There's no coming back from death. The people of God are to put these things, all of these things, out of their life permanently permanently There's no coming back. Destroy the high places. And just like the snowball effect of these kings in Israel, we can be overwhelmed and overcome by the sin that we allow, by the evil that we allow to come into our lives. And there's a problem with exposure to evil. And this is what I would call the progression of evil. First, you get exposed to it. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. Sometimes that just happens. But the problem with exposure is you get desensitized to it. And it it suddenly just after exposure and after exposure you tolerate it where it's eh, it's okay. I tolerate it. I'm not going to practice it, but I've been so desensitized to it that I'll allow it to happen. I'll I'll be around it. But eventually your your toleration leads to participation where now I might do that every now and then. Now I might it's okay. Just every once in a while, it's not a problem. But the problem with participation is eventually that snowballs to propagation. And propagation is where you cause it to grow, cause it to spread, cause it to multiply. And the problem with the people here at Colossae is that they were participating in this evil. After they'd been baptized, after they were supposed to be living this new Christian life, they were still participating in it. Why? Because they tolerated it at one point. Why? Because they were exposed to it at one point. And Paul says, none of this. I don't want you to be exposed. I don't want you to tolerate. I don't want you to participate. I don't want you to propagate it. I want you to hate it. I want you to hate evil. And as Christians, we shouldn't tolerate evil. We shouldn't allow our participation in these things. We need to hate it. We need to hate the evil that's in our lives. And so I what does hating evil look like? How do we do that? And I read Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what's good. When you look up that word abhor, it's a word we don't use a whole lot anymore. It means to detest utterly. Not only do you not want to participate in it, not only do you not want to be around it, but you, you detest it. It makes you sick. You hate it. You detest it. And maybe you've never thought about sin like that where you you hate it so much that it makes you sick just to be around it. I'm gonna tell you, you can't love God completely if you don't hate evil. As Christians, we have to hate evil. Think about something that I detest utterly. is hot sauce. And Jordan and I both hate this stuff. And, And if you come over to our house you're going to have to bring your own hot sauce because we do not keep this stuff in the fridge because I can start to taste it in my food. I can taste it in my bread when it's been sitting in the refrigerator. I hate it so much. It it starts to make everything taste and smell like it, even through the bottle. And I want nothing to do with this stuff. Why? Because I hate it. It has no use for me. It makes me sick. And that's what sin needs to do to us in our lives. It needs to make us sick to where we don't want anything to do with it. We don't want to be around it because of what it leads to. That's what our attitude with evil needs to be. Another part of abhorring something, another definition for abhorring is to have a horror of. And so you think about something that makes you scared. What's something that scares you more than anything else? For me, is snakes. I hate snakes. And there's nothing on earth that I hate more than snakes. It, it, for me to be this close to a snake on a screen is still giving me chills. Like, it, it's just something that I hate. And I remember growing up, uh, I was probably five or six years old, and I don't know if my parents will even remember this, there was a news story on, on TV, and there, it was about this snake who was in the plumbing system of this community, and it was going up through toilets. I couldn't sit down for a month I was so scared of snakes. And they scare me. That's what our sins should do. It should make us have a horror of it. We should be scared to death of it because of what it leads to and the snowball effect, the toleration, the participation, the propagation that it can lead to in our lives. So I ask you do you hate evil? Do you hate the sin that's in your life? Jesus did we're going to read a story about Jesus in John chapter 2. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And so he found in the temple those who sold oxen sheep and doves. Um, There were people who had set up shop in the temple of the Lord to make money, to, to do their business. And Back in this time, you were required to make all kinds of different animal sacrifices. It didn't matter where you lived, you were still required to do that. So people would come from all over Judah and all over Israel and all over even outside of that to Jerusalem to make these sacrifices. And the problem was they didn't have these animals. They didn't want to bring these animals on these two, three, four hundred mile journeys with them. And so they'd buy these animals in Jerusalem um, just to make it easier. The problem was, though these people who had set up shop to sell these animals were jacking the prices way up. And so it was making it very unfair and they were um, extorting these people, these travelers who were trying to come to the temple to offer these sacrifices. And then the money changers. So basically they were currency converters. Um, Just like when we go to other countries and we have to change our money from U.S. dollar to peso or, or whatever, euro, they had to do the same thing. They were required to pay a half of a shekel temple tax uh, yearly, I think, um, to the temple. The problem was they couldn't offer what their normal currency was to the temple. It had to be a specific currency um, that couldn't have any type of emperor's images on it, couldn't have any idol imagery on it. It had to be in the specific uh, coin and specific currency, and so they had to exchange it. And the problem was these money changers, instead of giving them a one-to-one fair ratio, they were jacking that currency way up. So instead of one, now you're paying three times what you should be paying to the temple or to these people to get your temple tax paid for. And taking advantage of people was continuously talked about in the Old Testament as evil. Um, you go through all the prophets, Micah, I mean every one of them it's they were prophesying about the rich people taking advantage of the poor people. And this continued all through the king's time down until Jesus' time. Jesus's time. Same thing was going on. They were taking advantage of these people and that was called evil. And do you think Jesus tolerated this? Do you think Jesus just looked at that and said, it's fine, no big deal? When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He didn't tolerate evil. Does this look like Jesus tolerated evil? He destroyed it. He demolished it. He cast it off. He hated evil. And just like the rubbish that they were doing back in the time of Hezekiah, and they purged all the rubbishness and the filthiness and the garbage out, that's what Jesus was doing here. And so we should hate evil. We should treat evil just like this and get it out of our lives, whatever that looks like. Jude writes in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So not only do you hate evil, you hate the things that evil has touched. You're scared to death of them. Why? Because of what can happen when you're exposed to them. Hate being exposed to evil. That's what Jude's saying here. Be scared of even the garment that evil touches. So is that how you treat sin? I think about uh, back in April last year um, when everybody had to go into quarantine, I still had to go to work. And so when I would go into work, this is what dress-up looked like. I mean, we had full face shields on. We had masks. We had eyeglasses under our full face shields. We had respirators on. We had gloves, gowns, everything. We didn't want to be exposed to that stuff. We didn't know anything about it. We were scared to death of it. And same way with all of you. We didn't come to church for a a month. We wore masks everywhere that we went. We were scared to death of it. What if we treated our sin like we treated quarantine? where we're scared to death of it. Scared to death what it can cause. Because it's even... Worse, it can cause permanent death. I don't think we do a good job of, of, of hating and quarantining ourselves from evil. And I think about the entertainment that we allow into our lives. And, and I'm gonna pick on entertainment for a minute. There's so many different ways I could have gone with this. You could think about the friends that you have in your life. You could think about uh, the money that you have, how you spend your money. I wanna look at entertainment because I think that that's something that really plagues all of us. We're all exposed to this. And you think about texting. Um, Dad had a, a saying growing up is, nothing good ever happens after 10 o'clock at night. And there's a lot of truth to that, especially when it comes to, to how we text people of the opposite sex and things like that. We need to be careful, and we need to put up barriers. TikTok, um, I've, I've heard the phrase, it's funny, it's not a big deal so many times. And I'm tired of hearing that. I was talking to a guy the other day and he was laughing and looking at his phone and I, I said, what are you laughing at? And he said, no, you can't, you can't see it because you're not gonna like it. You're gonna think that it's bad. Really? This was a, a person in the church. Is that how we view evil? Where it's, it's okay because it's funny. That's not how we need to treat evil. Snapchat. Instagram, whatever. I mean, there's so many different ways that we are exposed. And I'm not saying that there's not a use for these. I'm saying that we need to really guard our lives, guard what we're being exposed to. So I'm going to tell you, marketing works. And if you're a man, they're going to market women. They're going to do anything they can to get you to buy into that stuff. And they'll do that through Snapchat, through Instagram, through Facebook, whatever it is. You have to not expose yourself to that. You have to not tolerate it, so that the snowball effect doesn't keep going down, and and you eventually participate in it and enjoy it. Music lyrics—that's another one. You start humming things in your in your mind, and you're listening to it, and you start listening to the words, and that's really terrible, what they're singing about. But but it's a good it's a good melody. It's good. It's catchy. Is that our mindset? We have to hate those kind of things. Hate the evil that's in these songs. Don't participate in that kind of stuff. Find good stuff to listen to. Think about magazines and books. Sports Illustrated, a few years ago, I had a subscription to Sports Illustrated, and I read each one of these magazines and and learned a lot through them, but I always wondered, what's going to happen when that swimsuit edition shows up? How how am I going to get that out of there before Jordan sees it? And it never showed up, and I, what? what happened here? Like, I've been looking for this. Come to find out Jordan saw it and threw it in the trash immediately. Sometimes we have to help other people not be exposed to evil in our lives. And, and whatever that looks like in your lives, help people out. Hold for Cosmopolitan. I tried to find a picture that I could put up here of Cosmopolitan. There's nothing that, that was appropriate to put up here halfway-clothed women, all kinds of gossip, all kinds of filthy stuff on the cover. Don't expose yourself to this garbage. Think about Two and a Half Men, and this isn't a show that runs anymore, but this was something that I tolerated and even participated in whenever I was going to college. And this show is about a man who his main purpose in life is to try and get with as many women as he can. And you think about that in Christianity, that's the exact opposite of what everything the Bible teaches. Yet I was allowing that. We were getting together weekly and watching this show. I was tolerating that. Why? It's evil. And so you think about in your life, what are you tolerating? It's not funny. Sometimes we, we, we think these shows, well, it's just humor. It's not funny, it's serious. And it's the exact opposite of Christianity. We're invaded by movies and television. I think about the the show Yellowstone, and that's kind of the big cultural phenomenon right now, kind of like Game of Thrones was a couple years ago. Everybody's watching Yellowstone. I went and looked up the parents' guide on IMDb, and I've seen a few episodes of this, and it, it appalled me. The parents' guide, explicit sexual scenes, intense rape scene. Every episode uses strong language. Lots of female nudity. We're exposing ourselves to that. I've heard Christians talk about this. I was talking to a guy the other day and and he was saying that they had a Bible study and they went through this Bible study and had a lot of good conversation. Then after the Bible study was over, everyone would get together and talk about Yellowstone and how awesome it was. How they couldn't wait for the next episode to come out the week later so they could talk about it next week. Really? Really? We've been desensitized to evil in what we watch. We need to hate this stuff, hate what it represents. You, I, I had never heard of this show, and we let the kids watch stuff on Netflix, and I was, uh, whenever, I, whenever I work at the pediatric office, and they had let this kid, this 15, 16-year-old kid, pick out one he wanted to watch, and so I'd never heard of this, and so that's fine. Um, and so... I start hearing all kinds of things going on in this TV show and we turned it off. And I couldn't believe it. Parents got on that. Extremely graphic language, not moderate. Sex scenes are very graphic. So many F words. Constant illegal drug use. These were things that I could appropriately appropriately put up on a screen at church. There's nothing nice to say about this show. And I, I asked this kid, I said, your parents let you watch that? Oh, yeah, they don't care. Is that our mindset? Oh, yeah, we don't care. Or do you hate evil? Do you hate being exposed to evil? And what do you watch? I mean, you can't, you can't watch Barney all the time. What, what do you, we're going to have to fill that void somewhere. And I don't, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I think that we need to resensitize ourselves to, to shows and go look up The Parent's Guide on IMDb. Go read what it says about the show that you're going to watch before you dive 12 seasons into it. See if you're, how much evil you're going to be exposing yourself to. Watch it on Clearplay. Watch it on VidAngel. Whatever that is, make sure you're not having this evil in your lives. We need to recalibrate what we think of as evil. And what about your computer? What about your phone? Especially when when doors are closed, how are you using that? Are you using that for good things? Are you using it for evil? What would be your response if I were to set your computer up right here in front of the church? And we looked at the search history and we looked at the photos that you had on there. What would be your response? Would you be embarrassed? Because I know at one point in my life, I definitely would have been. And if we're all honest, every one of us, same way. The problem is pornography, porn, it's invaded our lives. Not only has it invaded men's lives, it's invaded women's, women's lives as well. And we need to make sure that we're constantly on our guard for that. And I remember um, watching a movie a long time ago, and this This guy had a a constant problem with pornography where he was just over and over again going back to it. And I remember he just took a baseball bat. And I mean, he just went to town on his computer, took it out in the yard and just destroyed it. You want to know what Matthew 5, when when he talks about plucking out your eye, that's an example of what that looks like. Because it's better to lose a couple hundred bucks than to burn. And sometimes we have to go to those dramatic things to get those out of our lives, to get that evil out of our lives. It's better to get rid of these things, these temporal things, be out a couple hundred bucks, than to burn. As we wrap up, if only the saints of God could realize the terrible result of sin, then they would hate every aspect of sin. The world is not just spotted with sin. It is engulfed in the crimson tide. It's the most protect, in the most protected situations, such as the Christian home, there are still spots of sin. These spots must be seen in their true light and hated and resisted. This is a, a commentator on, on Jude chapter one. Resist the sin, hate it. Realize that it's invaded your lives. Find out where that invasion has taken place and get it out. Be done with it expose the sin in your life. I go back to Numbers again. Drive out, destroy, destroy, demolish. This was talking about high places. What are your high places? What are you allowing in your life that you need to destroy, that you need to demolish, that you need to cast off, and that you need to drive out? Whatever you're allowing to hang around your life as a high place needs to be destroyed it invades Christianity, just like we've talked about. It starts to desensitize you to where you tolerate it. And that progression continues until you start propagating, until you start spreading it and promoting it. It's time to destroy those things. Psalms 97, our last verse this morning. You who love the Lord hate evil. If you love God, if you love the Lord, you hate what He stands against. You hate evil. It makes you sick. And I hope you'll do that. And I struggled with offering an invitation at this because it, it's a hard thing. It's an awkward thing to talk about things like this. And, and you don't want anybody to be embarrassed that's having these, these hard times. But then I realized, you know, I gave a, church, a sermon on the purpose of the church, the community of the church. That's what this is for. We're not here to judge. We're not here to look down on you. We're here to help you. The purpose of the church is the community and, and growing together and getting to heaven. And so this morning, if you need help, that's what the church is here for. And and if you don't want to come forward, that's fine. Find someone this morning that you can talk to, that's someone that can pray for you and, and hold you accountable to all these things. I don't know what your life has looked like lately. I don't know what you've been tolerating. I don't know what you've been doing in life as far as social media and entertainment and the friend circle you've been hanging around with, things like that. But I know that that Jesus doesn't tolerate evil and we don't need to tolerate evil in our lives as well. Christ hated evil so much that he died to purify us from it. And if you've never been purified from your sin, you need to do that this morning. Christ died for that. Christ died to purchase the church, which is what we're a part of this morning because he hated evil so much. And so this morning, I hope that that if you need to do that, that you'll come forward and you'll, you'll get that done this morning. That's something so important. If the church can help you in any way, whether that's through prayers, whether that's through baptism, please come forward as we sing this song.